it's time for expert guests to share their insights on all things cybersecurity. It's time to get inside the minds of cyber attackers. It's time for the Software Insecurity Podcast from Checkmarks. Hello and welcome to the Software Insecurity Podcast from Checkmarks, where expert voices weigh in on today's most critical cybersecurity issues. I'm Stephen Gates. And I'm Matt Slotten. Today's topic is APIs. The need for increased API security is only growing. For example, in a survey conducted by Postman, 49% of developers said that over half of their organization's development effort is spent working on APIs. And clearly, APIs are becoming a major target for today's attackers. Joining us to discuss the explosive growth of APIs and how to better secure them moving forward is the head of product at Checkmarks, Steve Boone. Together, we'll talk about why the industry as a whole needs to step up its game in the context of API security, new ways to find and fix vulnerabilities before it's too late, and we'll make some practical recommendations to help you address your risk. Welcome, Steve. Hey, guys. First, can you tell our listeners a little bit about where your passion for cybersecurity came from and how your life journey led you to your current role at Checkmarks? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. My journey started in DevOps, and it was well over 10 years ago, helping organizations understand best practices around continuous integration, continuous delivery, continuous testing. And obviously, as part of that, you got to talk about security. And it was always interesting to watch these very large companies execute seamlessly at the technical bits around the automation, right? They could build their delivery pipelines and they could deliver all of this code. But security always was kind of the laggard, you know, it was the thing that got left behind and, and sometimes in some cases forgotten. So that's where my passion really stemmed from. It was, you know, this is clearly an important part of the SDLC and wanted to see more organizations be able to pick it up and move effectively with it. So thanks, Steve. Now to start off our discussion today, let's get down to the basics. For any listener who might need a refresher, generally speaking, what are the various types of APIs in use today? Why are they so important? Why is so much effort and time spent on them, particularly from a development and security standpoint? The first thing to understand is that APIs are everywhere. They're in everything that we're using, picking up your phone in between meetings and you're playing around on your apps 100%. You're accessing hundreds of different APIs. Your car that you're driving, odds are it's using APIs. So no matter where we're at, whether it's embedded devices, mobile devices, web applications, they're all over. And these APIs are the catalyst for sharing data between different endpoints. And a lot of times that data is extremely sensitive, can contain anything from our banking information, or personal identification information. We want to make sure, obviously, that that's protected and safe. So companies today, they're taking a strong look at this. If we look at the reports from Forrester and Gartner, they're targeting 2023 to be the year of the API. And the reason is, is companies have been very good about securing their applications. They have progressed over the years. They've added SAST and DAST and IAST. They're scanning their open source code. And so what does that leave? Well, that leaves the communication points between applications and services and microservices, which are our APIs. 
And then some of the challenges here is that APIs, they can typically have their own life cycle. So while you're developing your application and developers are focused on that, they're not always thinking about necessarily the APIs that are associated with them. And so because they're two parallel tracks often, sometimes they get overlooked. And most developers aren't thinking about developing API-first applications. Maybe they are for new applications, but for legacy applications, they often need to be kind of revisited and revamped so that we can understand what APIs exist, how they're documented, how they work, and provide better context for our development teams. When it comes to APIs, I always think of it sort of in four parts. And I don't know if anybody can remember, but the simple network management protocol, it was the protocol to be all protocols. Uh, We're going to be able to manage every single network device on the planet with SNMP. Then all of a sudden, everybody was like, can I get a web-based GUI? I'd rather have a web-based GUI. So then everybody had a plethora of web-based GUIs all over. I had a thousand web-based GUIs. I don't know how to operate a single one. Can I get an API? So that was where it actually evolved. Now they wanted an API. So we got these management and solution-based APIs. This is how you manage infrastructure. This is how you manage devices. This is how you collect statistics, et cetera. Then, you know, you're talking about the third-party APIs. And you think about, hey, if I'm going out and I'm booking travel on Travelocity or Kayak or something like that, so how does that work, right? So I'm on this website and I'm looking to book a hotel room. Well, there's an API that goes back to the actual Marriott or Hilton or whoever the hotel chain is to availability, book. So that's a third-party API. Then when you think about the mobile app, that's not web-based. I'm not utilizing a browser, right? right? So when I open up and launch that mobile app, I'm utilizing the API to go back to the actual back end so that I can check my bank account balance or whatever. And then today we talk about this modern application development and the expansive use of microservices. It's kind of like the spaghetti that goes in between all of these various microservices are the APIs. And so when we're talking about APIs, there's a lot of different APIs we're talking about developing and securing. And so just a massive growth everywhere of APIs. You're exactly right. And when you think about the fact that 70, 80% of applications these days are open source, right? The, the, the core pieces that we want to use are already built for us. Developers are leveraging these APIs for integrations. You know, it's, it's how we make internally our own engines work at check marks and communicate between each other. It's how we might integrate to an AWS service that we want to leverage for our customers out there. So it really is the linchpin and the glue that binds all this together. Certainly playing with APIs is super fun, right? Like I know outside of application for work, I do a lot of home automation. Steve. And it's both elating and terrifying when I see that some of these third-party services all have APIs. It's like, all right, I got to dive in, figure out, get Postman out, and then only find that, oh, shoot, there's undocumented API endpoints or this isn't behaving the way I thought. So can you talk a little bit about API documentation, how stuff like that can actually be an attack vector for nefarious actors in terms of documentation or lack thereof? The big thing, and might even be a theme throughout this conversation, is you can't protect what you don't know about. And the reality is, is we put so much response on our development teams. Let's face it, they are not only responsible for writing the code, oftentimes there's the ones at the very front line testing the code. When we get those production outages, they're the ones and the heroes out there lifting it up and making sure that we're remediating it quickly. So they've already got so much on their plate. It's not surprising that security sometimes takes a back seat. But in an effort to change that, one of the things that we need to help developers understand is Answer the simple question, what are my APIs? You know, if you think about the turnover in software development, how many new developers you might have coming into teams, the longevity in which people stay in an organization, there's a lot of people coming. And they're not all starting with an application that they built from the ground up. So especially on legacy applications, 
you don't know. And you don't know what you don't know, and that's the challenge. First thing first is we have to be able to understand what are the APIs that are out there. For applications that are API first, they're new, and they're built with APIs in mind, those typically have better API documentation. A lot of times developers might even start there. But for other applications, organizations have no clue. They understand what I like to call the business-specific APIs, the things that are very important to making that application work, whether it's a shopping cart, whether it's your login page. like Those are the things that are getting hit 80% of the time. But it's that other 20%. It's other APIs that are maybe internal, maybe sharing data back and forth. In some cases, they could be zombie APIs that are kind of forgotten about from a development perspective, but are still active externally. And those possess a lot of risk. So the very first thing that we try to help organizations with is understanding, look, you got to know what you have to put a plan together to address it and actually secure it. It's like everything's perfect in design, but when it actually comes time to building anything, oftentimes things fall apart or API endpoints get created that we are unaware of. So I know, you know my previous role, you know, leading my dev team, to your point, Steve, we actually had some undocumented API endpoints simply because we had to quickly expose something to be able to plumb it correctly. And you know, so we'll, we'll document that later and it never gets documented and it's just floating out there. I think about examples with teams that I've helped run where we want to go integrate to a specific service or another solution. And sometimes you reverse engineer the existing APIs and you learn about other APIs, these undocumented APIs. These are essentially shadow APIs, APIs that were intended to be internal. They're not publicly referenced, but you have third parties or customers utilizing them. Sometimes we'll even see this where previous organizations I've been at, customer says, I really need to access this data. You guys don't seem to have an API published for it. And it's like, well, it's not publicly available, but we do have one. And here you go, right? And now all of a sudden, like that was intended to be internal. Now you've got somebody using it externally and this creates challenges for both people providing the software and the people consuming it. Because when that API changes, now you're breaking your customer's usage of that API. And that's when they start pushing for better documented, fully supported APIs. Steve, you were talking about obviously identifying, know what you have. Can you expand, I guess, why that's so important in terms of identifying sooner? Because we have issues now where, as you alluded to, it's like sometimes things get spun up, but why does it matter that we identify those early in the software development lifecycle? Why can't we just go back at the end? The obvious one is it's cheaper. And you always want to find the problematic code earlier in the development life cycle than later. It's easier to fix. It's in the turnaround time and the feedback to developers, obviously, is right in front of them and they're present working on it. I think the challenge that a lot of folks have is today, when they think about APIs, most organizations are focused on runtime. So they've got WAFs, they've got API gateways. These are very important solutions. They're just not the only piece that you need in your artillery. Like you got to have more than just runtime. And so what I mean by that is if you think about what the runtime is often doing, one, you need to educate these runtime solutions on what APIs they know about. And so you can manually enter those in. You can perhaps even use an API to, to load in the data that you have. But that means that you must have it documented somewhere. So if you don't have it documented, it's pretty challenging to let these other tools know about which APIs you want them to monitor and protect in the runtime environments. That's one challenge. The other piece is some of these newer solutions on the market, very advanced, cool technologies. They're using AI and machine learning to basically look at network traffic. And they start to analyze that traffic over time. And they'll present it back to you. And they'll say, hey, Matt. You know, after a couple of months looking at network traffic, here's what we see. 
Does this look like an attack to you? How do you want me to handle this? So there's the education and tuning of those, but also then it's presented back to you. And so as a operations person, I have to understand, is this an attack? Is this how it's intended to be using? And so there's some intervention that needs to take place there. One of the things that we hear routinely from our customers is, even when they get those solutions moving and trained and they start bringing them back findings, how do you take communication from an application or two endpoints and then figure out which development team is responsible in your organization for going and making that change? I found something, now who's going to fix it problem? So again, doing it earlier in the cycle means we can start to find APIs, visibility into what they are. We can associate those APIs with their code vulnerabilities and then present that to a developer and say, hey, look, these look problematic now, well before we ever get them into production. So there's some cool things that we're progressing and doing here. Once you know the data itself and you know your API landscape, as I like to think about it, is it from a developer perspective, you can start to compare. What is, let's say, the API landscape look like compared to what the API gateway looks like. And so you do a delta between your inventory as a developer and the runtime. And that's a great way to start finding about APIs that maybe aren't documented, a great way to find about APIs that aren't known about at runtime that maybe you found in code to give you more coverage as a whole for your applications. Let's quickly shift the conversation to risk. Obviously, the growth of APIs just grows risk right along with it. You mentioned API gateways. You mentioned web application firewalls. You know, I worked with web application firewalls for almost a decade. And the one thing about web application firewalls is, is they have a tendency to block good traffic. And anybody knows that if you have a device out there that's blocking good traffic, it's going to go into bypass mode. And so we know that people are trying to address the security challenges, the risk challenges that go along with APIs by, okay, you know, we're going to utilize a web application firewall. We're going to utilize an API gateway. How is that not solving the issues of having risky APIs out there? One of the largest attack vectors is attacking APIs. And many of these APIs could potentially be somewhat protected by web application firewalls, API gateways. So kind of talk about why these devices just are not necessarily solving the problem. I think there's this idea versus protection and being protected, and then actually improving your security footprint and evolving. So these runtime solutions are protecting you. They're your barriers, your fortress to your castle. And you've got to have that, right? No one would argue that. But it's not making your code better. So I can identify and protect, but wouldn't the best protection be prevention? And so that's the way we're coming at this is when we think about it from a check marks perspective, we're not a runtime company. We've never been that. Our knowledge and what we do best is analyzing code and looking for vulnerabilities. And as part of that, we can identify these APIs. We can associate them and correlate them to code vulnerabilities. And we can start to compare and contrast with what else we know with runtime and other solutions. So that all together allows developers to say, hey, I know I've got these APIs. I can look at some of the data coming from runtime and see that these are heavily used or maybe not used at all, which also could be a red flag. And then it allows them to essentially put a plan together to improve that code so that next time it won't get attacked. Or if there is a large amount of traffic coming into it, it could be better performing and maybe not get blocked accidentally. So those are the things that we're trying to do. It said it's one thing to have protection and it's another thing to actually go fix the problem. So I look at it as a reactive versus proactive. You have to have the runtime. 
No one would argue with that. But if you really want to get better and have better code quality and be better protected long term, you got to fix the code. And so that's where, to me, you see this convergence where you need to bring the runtime closer to development. And development also needs insights into the runtime. And that's pretty much our goal and our strategy at Checkmarks is to help make those two things come together. Without naming names, there's been some recent big news, and we're talking about risks, Stephen, big news, headline, making things, we'll, we'll just say in the telecom industry, we'll leave it at that, just around exposed API endpoints that they were using API gateways they had, or WAFs, but the problem was these endpoints, the WAFs, the runtime was unaware of it. So to your point, Steve, yeah, it's just protecting is only half the story, right? You need to be aware that they exist to begin with, because otherwise, how do you protect them? How do we get smarter knowing what we know now? It's like my father used to tell me, now that we know this, what can we do with the information, right? And, and that's that's really it. It's like these runtime solutions are so great at preventing, you know, finding and seeing what's happening to the application. But now in the spirit of good DevSecOps and just DevOps in general, it's about feedback to the development teams and being able to remediate quickly. Well, it's interesting point, right? And Matt, you just mentioned a big breach telecom industry and I actually provided some commentary to one of the journalist organizations out there. And I was speculating, not that I knew anything, but I was speculating most likely the result of a shadow API or a zombie API. And I love those two names, shadow, zombie, and it kind of sounds pretty cool. So Steve, can you help the listening audience understand what is a shadow API, how that happens, what leads to creating a shadow API? And then what is the result of a zombie API and how did it actually come into play? Where did this zombie come from? Yes, that's a great question, Stephen. They are fun names for sure. Let's talk about shadow APIs first. Shadow APIs are not officially supported APIs. So when we're building an application, we really have kind of two sets of things that we think about. You could think of them as supported or unsupported. You could think about them as internal or external. Your external, your public facing APIs are the ones that your consumers, your users are going to start taking advantage of. It's the ones we publish for our customers, for our products. And those APIs need to be well-documented so developers can take advantage of them. Developers are very smart, um, and they know that other APIs exist. And so they can start poking around, they can reverse engineer some of the code, and they can find other APIs. This is also a result sometimes of us, not just us, but I think software companies in general, you want to help their customers. They're asking for additional APIs because they want to get data and do something with it. We want to support them. And so sometimes we'll say, hey, look, we do have this API. Here you go. We think we're doing the right thing. We think we're helping our users. But the challenge is, is now they're using an undocumented API. And so if I'm big Acme corporation and I start writing a big report leveraging these undocumented APIs, my developers don't know that that's happening. And so next week, I'm going to get a ticket. I'm going to need to make some changes and I'm going to change what I believe is an internal API, right? And now all of a sudden I've just broken my customer stuff as well. So this idea of shadow APIs or these APIs that aren't documented or unknown about, and in an extreme, but we can just think about it as straight documentation, right? Not even necessarily outward to our customers, but even internally, maybe developers don't know about all of the internal APIs that are available because they're not the ones that are typically being used. So that's how we get to this idea of shadow APIs and finding them and shedding light on them puts visibility onto them so developers are aware and they can treat them with the same kind of importance and care that they would treat the external APIs. Zombie APIs are probably more problematic, at least from my perspective. Zombie APIs are when we're no longer, as a development team, paying attention to a particular API. Maybe we've deprecated that API and we said, you know what? 
We don't support that anymore. We're not gonna, we're not gonna do it. But at the same time, that API is still live in external. So now you have this scenario where it's out of sight, out of mind for the development team, but anybody that's accessing the application might actually hit that API. And the longer that those zombie APIs stay up and running, the more susceptible they are for someone to come and say, hey, here's something. No one seems to be paying attention here. And now all of a sudden it's a weaker point of entry for attackers, right? So Together, part of adding visibility as a whole and really understanding your API landscape is to identify these main two scenarios and then provide developers with a prioritized list to say, hey, here's the things we need to go pay attention from from an API perspective, and here's why. It's the classic when you're playing with Postman or trying to reverse engineer, you see the V1, V2, V3. That's exactly right. To your point, you made it earlier, but just to reiterate too, Steve, you mentioned, obviously, these APIs are being consumed by customers, right? So we can't, as developer teams, if it's external or if it's been made external, we can't just shut off the pipe because we might break someone's business. So that's how we end up with these V1 zombie APIs that maybe we just say, oh, we'll leave that on for however long we'll take care of that later. And then it gets just, it becomes a zombie and starts eating your brain. Absolutely. Right. Think about an app like, you know, Google Maps. You probably have it on your phone. I have it on my phone. I bet we might not have the same version right? And different versions are going to offer maybe newer updated functionality. Those are going to be different versions of that API. And a company might be supporting 20 different versions of the same API, but how do you know? (laughs) And as a developer, how do you start to keep track of all of that? How do you know what's newly introduced problem for an API? Did we just make this problem appear last week compared to something that's been existent for, you know, months? And maybe you decided you could live with it. When we think about how much developers have on their plate, and I always try to say, you know, if I've got five, 10 minutes as a developer and I've making a conscious effort to focus on remediating some challenges, whether it's an API, open source, whatever it could be, how do I know what's the most important thing for me to focus on? How do I start to aggregate all of that data across our different security engines and make the best decision? And so, you know, that's the spirit of kind of the Checkmarks One platform. That's where you can start leveraging our API security solution and seeing some quick value. So let's talk a little bit more about that, Steve. What are the practical recommendations you would give that can reduce this risk, right? These potential vulnerabilities in the APIs, potential being ripe for attack. How does Checkmark's approach to API security differ from other approaches out there today? I think first thing that I like to do when I'm working with clients is kind of create an inventory of what solutions do you have in place today, right? Like, you know, might have more than one WAF. You might have more than one gateway. Where are they at? Where are they running? What applications do they support? Most companies will have a very clear understanding of what they would think are their key applications, the things they want to focus on first. And so from there, once we get an understanding of the network of the land, what do we know about existing APIs? You know, are some of these applications have really good documentation? Great. That's a good place to start. And that's not as critical is looking for the applications where you have zero to no visibility in those APIs. To me, that's the first big red flag. If we want to do the fastest thing we can do is just help people understand what those APIs are. What we're doing and what we'll instruct folks to do is go scan your code. First and foremost, again, we're talking about making better code, right? More secure code. So they can you know, go out to checkmarks.com. They can get a trial on Checkmarks One platform. We can run a SAS scan that's going to show us all of the vulnerabilities we know about your code, regardless of where they are, APIs are just code in general. And then we'll run our API security scan immediately after it. And what that's going to do is identify all of the APIs 
in that particular set of code. And it builds a whole inventory for you so that you can see all of the APIs and, if you want, all of the code vulnerabilities associated with those APIs. And we'll prioritize that list for you and say, hey, we think these ones are the most problematic because, and then show you the findings. That's something that you can do today to get started. What can you do after you've kind of crossed that first hurdle? Well, now you start looking at how can I improve our kind of baseline. And in a lot of that is taking what we now know, that inventory, and starting to compare it with existing documentation. Do I need to update my existing documentation based on what the scan has found? Maybe, maybe not. And then also comparing that to the runtime. Are there things that we could influence for the WAF or the API gateway that maybe it's not currently protecting or watching for because it didn't know about it or we didn't manually enter it? So just having this definitive list of APIs, now all of a sudden you can start to use that for your existing investments. You start making that WAF and that API gateway that much smarter. You start educating your developers and they understand their footprint that much more. I always say the very first thing we can do is get educated about what we have And from there, we can make practical decisions on, well, where are our gaps? What are the things that are most at risk? But without that, we might as well be firing into the dark. We have no idea. Yeah, and it all goes back to you can't secure what you don't know. That's exactly right. To flip it on its head, too, I think a really good opportunity for AppSec to appeal to developers, right? So coming from the developer side, if we scan source, so we won't have zombie or shadow APIs, number one. And number two, it's an opportunity for AppSec to go, hey, developers, look, you guys may have not been aware of this. Let's update the Swagger file that we publish for our customers. We're going to save you time because you don't have to go manually do this. And at the same time, we're actually checking for security vulnerabilities. So there's a win-win in my eyes. You know, it saves time for the developers. AppSec's happy because we're aware of our API endpoints and we don't have these vulnerabilities exposed on these unknown points. There's opportunity to do so much more too. When you think about the beauty of the Checkmarks One platform, it has all of these different engines in one place. Earlier, Stephen, you brought up great points about how APIs are tied to microservices and containers and our applications and all of these different things, right? So the infrastructure is clearly changing and important, but man, wouldn't it be great if we could start seeing for these different services, here are the APIs they use to communicate. Here's where the vulnerabilities in those APIs exist today. Here's the data that they're passing back and forth. Again, we can't get there if we don't know about the basic APIs. And so that's where we're at today. And that's what we're driving and helping customers do. But the future is even more exciting. And this is going to continue to grow and continue to take shape as I think people get on the platform and influence our direction. And as we see more feedback from analysts out there too, what customers are demanding and asking for. But the number one thing right now is just help us solve what we don't know. And that's just getting the visibility. Steve, definitely appreciate you joining us today. Before we wrap, we put the word out on LinkedIn asking for questions from the field. Got a couple repeats, so I was going to run through these questions for you, you know, asking biggest questions about API security, things that folks want to know. So number one, what types of API-focused attacks should we be on the lookout for? I know we touched upon this briefly with zombie and shadow APIs, but what kind of attacks are we seeing the most in the wild? We would be remiss not to point out that just like we have an OWASP top 10 for application vulnerabilities, there is an OWASP API security top 10. And our own research team here at Checkmarks plays a very important role in creating and publishing this particular set of vulnerabilities. So that's a fantastic place to start. There's a ton of information on there. And it will outline exactly the top 10 threats that we see. I'll talk about a couple of them here. The main three, you know, we talk about what people call Ebola. This is a broken object level authorization. This is easily preventable. 
but also has high risk. So when we start looking at things what we call like low-hanging fruit that teams can find and fix, that's a big one. Broken authentication kind of seems like a no-brainer, but you'd be surprised how many times something like, let's say, what is an internal API and is used internally for testing, all of a sudden, I'm going to make it a more exposed, give it more permissions so that the development team can run some tests, do the things it needs. And then we promote those changes. But, oh, you know what we forgot to do? We forgot to make sure that it was still internal after making it external, right? So those types of things are challenges. Excessive data exposure. We're passing data along that we don't need to be. So those are some of the big ones that companies are focused on resolving today. And I would encourage any of our listeners, go out, check out OWASP, check out the API security top 10. If you have more questions about those, reach out to us. We're happy to put you in touch with our own research team that can talk about their findings, the things that they're doing, and the current research that they're doing to eventually put out the next iteration of that list. You can see, for example, some of the recent API-based attacks that were very successful that made the press and the news and everything else. Most likely it was a BOLA or was a broken user authentication. Yeah. The chances of that are extremely, extremely high. Reason being because they gained access to some of the data, but not necessarily every bit of the data. And again, there's a lot of other good areas and solutions out there that can even say, hey, you know, Pending an actual attack, heaven forbid, somebody suffers through one of these. The very next question you're going to ask is, where did they go? What did they get access to? And there are good tools that sit more on that runtime solution as well that can help you see exactly where a user comes in and what they accessed. And again, having that information is great, but we got to get it back to development teams to shore it up and get it corrected. And that's where we can come in and help. Well, the attackers also know to go low and slow. Just grab a little data, stop. Grab a little data, stop. They don't want to raise any alarms. They don't want to show up on some monitoring platform or something that says, oh, look at all this. All right, they just hit That's it exactly and right. they slow down. They hit it and they slow down. And over time, you know, you think in a couple of weeks, a couple of months, they got everything they wanted. The attacks that are automated and you think about, okay, you know, hey, someone's trying to bring down my site and they're going to flood it with a bunch of traffic. Yeah, your runtime solutions are going to see that pattern and go, oh, this looks like an attack, but it's those cold calculated ones. It's the ones that have been planned and targeted across specific companies for specific data in months at a time that are going to be, to your point, Stephen, slow, steady, calculated. Those are the things where we need to make sure we're locking all of the doors, that we've got all of the windows hatched down. Otherwise, yeah, we leave ourselves susceptible to those. DDoS is so 2008, though, am I right? That's, That's right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Awesome. So one more question before we wrap, and you touched upon this, Steve, but where can developers learn more about how to better secure their API endpoints? There's a lot of information out there, right? So as anything, you know, the web's your friend, chat GPT is your friend these days. But I would say, come check us out. Go to checkmarks.com, sign up for a trial, reach out to us, let us help you. Let's scan your applications together. Let's learn about what your API footprint looks like. Let's identify areas that you can get better secure, better coverage, and what those integrations look like into your runtime so that, you know, we're not worried about this six, seven months from now. This is going to continue to be an expansive problem. Well, that's it for this episode of the Software Insecurity Podcast. I want to give a huge thanks to Steve Boone for joining us today to discuss API security and a big thanks to you for listening in. I'm Stephen Gates. And I'm Matt Slotten. Remember, if you have any burning cybersecurity queries, keep an eye out on LinkedIn to submit your very own listener questions for upcoming episodes. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please leave us a rating and review and tell a friend about us. See you next time on the Software Insecurity Podcast from Checkmarks. Checkmarks.